This week we're looking at Mark chapter 5, which is actually a very meaningful, moving passage for me over the years, and that's why I thought I'd share that with you today. Mark chapter 5 is an awesome passage. Two people, two women, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and a child, 12 years old, on the verge of death. And uh, this is what you call like a Markian sandwich. Mark does this once in a while. He takes one episode, and as he leads you into this episode, he sandwiches that, he uses that episode as a bookend for another episode taking place right within. So he leads you into this story about Jairus' daughter. Jesus gets off a boat. He just healed a man, demon-possessed, gets off a boat. Everybody starts rushing to him. Why? Because they want to see Jesus. They want to touch Jesus. They want to bump up against him, rub against him, because they know that he has power. And as, he, as they come up to him, Jairus approaches him. And that story becomes his bookend. Because as he's going to heal Jairus' daughter, he encounters this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, suffering physically for 12 years. And that's like the, the meat part of the sandwich. Peculiar aspects of this text. The woman suffering for 12 years, this child that he heals, Jairus' daughter, 12 years old. This woman is poor, it says. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and gave up everything she had, lost everything she had. This child that was healed is the daughter of a very wealthy man, a synagogue ruler named Jairus. This woman is irreligious. By law, she's considered unclean, irreligious. The child, the daughter of a synagogue ruler, religious. This woman is socially outcast because of her condition. The child, the daughter of a an acceptable family. This woman suffering a chronic condition. Chronic condition, 12 years of suffering. This child in acute condition. She's on the verge of death. And yet Jesus comes to heal the woman first. The chronic condition first before he goes and addresses the acute condition. What's going on here? Why? Why does he do that? At the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. And uh, he looks to the disciples and he says, Do you still have no faith? And that kind of serves as the backdrop of this passage because he leads right into chapter 5, he heals a man, demon possessed, and then right into this place. He turns to the woman who he heals, this chronic sufferer of this condition, and says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. To Jairus, he turns to Jairus because Jairus has this urgent need. And he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, just have faith. So these are lessons on faith. This whole passage are lessons on faith. What type of lessons? From the woman, this is going to serve as our three points. From the woman, you see fundamental aspects of faith. Why do we know that? Because Jesus heals this woman in the middle of a crowd. A large crowd. The author intends for everybody to see these lessons on faith. With Jairus' daughter... Jesus takes just a small group of people. It's done in a private setting. Healing takes place in a very private setting. He wants us to learn more mature, more advanced lessons on faith. And lastly, we're going to have the practical applications of this faith. What is faith? 
Faith is what it takes. Faith is the means, the way that we connect with the truth, the reality of who Jesus is. His character and his person is his work. That's faith. Faith is what allows you to connect with God through Jesus. By looking to his character, by looking to his work on the cross. And so we see the fundamental lessons on faith through this woman, this bleeding woman. The more complex, the more advanced lessons on faith through uh, the healing of Jairus' daughter and then our practical applications on faith. First, the fundamental lessons. We see this in verses 21 to 34. This woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. What's going on here? Apparently, she's had this uh, aberration in her reproductive system that caused this woman to bleed. Literally, she's left the menstrual bleeding for 12 years. 12 years of suffering. And it says here <clears throat> that um, she suffered in the care of many doctors, but her condition didn't get better, it actually grew worse. What are the fundamental lessons on faith? There are four lessons on faith that we can gather from this. And these are fundamental. This is universal for everybody to know in order to connect with the reality and the truth of Jesus. The first, let's look at the woman's desperation. Verse 25, she's been suffering for 12 years, which means that she's physically suffering. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Meaning that this woman had no alternatives. Why? Because she's physically just desperate. But then she's also suffering financially. She had spent everything that she had. Apparently she had some money. All that money now gone. Because she had spent it under the care of many doctors. And her situation didn't get better. It actually got worse. Which means now she's suffering financially. She's suffering physically. She's suffering uh, in so many ways, because now we're also seeing that she's outcast as a woman. In that law, in the culture in that day, the Levitical law, you were not allowed to enter into a temple unless you've been cleared for 33 days after suffering under uh, in a condition like this. This woman, that means, has not entered a temple or a synagogue for 12 years. She's irreligious. And in a culture that is based on religion, She's outcast religiously, legally, socially, repulsive. So she's physically hurting, she's financially hurting. You can only imagine the emotional stress that this has been causing for 12 years. And I would imagine a person like this suffering like this, you learn to just deal with it after a while. It's the image of this woman upon hearing about Christ. I don't know if she's crawled over to him, but she's reaching out to Jesus. Because she says, if I could just touch his cloak, if I could just touch his clothes. Because she doesn't even feel like she needs, she's worthy to even address him in public like that. But she's in a crowd. She's reaching. The story uh, that I heard from a, a very liberal preacher many, many years ago about uh, a prostitute. <coughs> who had uh, entered into a convention, a pastoral convention. And at the end of that convention, uh, a large type of retreat, they had an open mic where you could come up and share stories about how Jesus had changed your life. And this crack-addicted prostitute slowly walks up to the mic. And the horror, at the horror of these pastors, walks up to the mic and says, you know, last night, I had a dream. 
Last night I had a dream, and I was dressed in pure white. And Jesus came up to me in my dream and asked me to dance. And so here I am, everybody's watching me, all of you are watching me in this, in this dance. And Jesus leans over to me, whispers in my ear, and he says, I'm crazy about you. I'm crazy about you. This woman has not been touched intimately in years. She's been socially outcast, emotionally cast off. She feels, you know, the, the distance, the emotional distance that you feel when you're socially outcast, physically suffering for over a decade. What the Bible's telling us here, what this passage is telling us, is that deep inside our hearts, there is an empty, bleeding soul that not a single thing in this world can cure or address. And the moment that you try to resolve these issues, this bleeding heart in your life, your situation doesn't get better, it actually gets worse. But if you look for a worldly alternative, this woman had no more alternatives. But if you look for a worldly alternative, a worldly means to, to solve your problem, this bleeding soul, to answer to care, and we do that in many, many ways. We look to our spouses or our children, our relationships, the money, the career, the jobs that we have, our promotions, anything that we, you know, a lot of us look at anything that we can to get one step above the next person. The Bible says that this is our way of patching up that bleeding soul in our hearts. And the moment you cling to that as your... It's like it's like you're going to be spent. You're going to be empty. You would have left. It's like spending all your money on doctors that cannot cure you. They will only make you worse. But this way, any attempt that she made on her own, she's left bleeding more. Have you experienced that? On any given day, have you experienced that? Why do we come to Christ? Some of us, or all of us, at any given point in time. We come to Christ because we just want the cure. We just want the relief. We just want the healing from the immediate suffering. But this woman, what is she doing? I mean, most of us, at a given point in time, we just want the cure. We just want Jesus as the means to the cure. This woman hears about Jesus, to reach into Jesus, to look into Jesus, not just as the means to the cure. <coughs> She doesn't want to approach Jesus and ask for a cure. That's not what she's looking for. She says, if I just touch him, if I just reach out to him, I know the healing is with him. He is the cure. This woman came to Jesus as the cure, not just as the means to the cure. In her state, think about it. Not even feeling worthy. Everyone else in this passage is bumping up against Jesus. Everyone else wants to touch Jesus. Everyone else is ramming up against him, crying out to him, reaching out to him. The disciples, I mean, Jesus says, who touched me upon the woman's touch? And the disciples are indignant. Verse 31, they're saying, wait a second. You see the people leaning up against you, bumping up against you, trying to touch you. How can you ask who touched me? Everybody is reaching out to Jesus for a miracle. But only one person actually touched him. Only one person actually reached him. She only felt the touch of one person. There's this one. Lord, without you, she knows I'm empty. 
I've had a complete loss. I'm just a funnel of blood. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. When was the last time you felt that desperate? When you came to the cross. When was the last time you felt that much at a loss? When you came to the cross. That's the uh, desperation. The second is the information that she heard. Verse 27. It says, When the woman heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. In other words, she actually had to hear about Christ and then act on what she heard about Christ. It wasn't enough just to hear. Everybody here is hearing about Christ, but it's about acting on what you hear. Faith is not just the information that you hear. Faith is living in line with the information that you hear. Trusting in the information that you hear. Living in line, not with what you don't know. A lot of us think faith is living in line with what you don't know. The leap of faith. But actually, that's not what the scripture is saying here in this passage. In this passage, faith is living in line with what you do know. When she heard about Jesus, what did she do? She said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to touch him. She fought through a crowd. She fought ridicule, possible rejection from Christ. But she acted on what she knew, the little that she knew about Christ. She acted on that. You come to a bridge, there's an axe murderer chasing you. You'll never experience this. I'm sure most of you in this, in this hopefully, hopefully none of you will ever experience this. But you're running away from an axe murderer. And you come to a bridge. Now, for me, this is very meaningful because I'm terribly afraid of heights. I haven't been to Great Adventure, Six Flags, since uh, my junior, uh, sorry, since uh, seventh grade or eighth grade. I haven't been to, uh, I'm the guy that usually holds everybody's bags. You know, when, uh, when everybody else goes on the fun ride, so for me to pay $40 to walk into a place to do that is not appealing at all. And so, uh, you know, this, this illustration is very meaningful. This person is running, running after you and asks murderers right after you, right? You come to a bridge, and you look down at the bridge. Now, I'm definitely afraid of heights. I look down, and I'm thinking, it's, I mean, if you're afraid of heights, if you feel me here, right, you know what it's like. No matter how big that bridge is, you are... I mean, you, you're, you know what it's like to be frozen in fear, right? You know, for me, that's how I am. Um, I feel like I just experienced this not too long ago. I forget where. But just to be able to walk across something like that is it, it, incredibly... I mean, you just, you just freeze. Now, this expert is chasing you. You come to this bridge and you see the sign. And it says, this bridge can hold one and a half tons. Now, last time I checked, that's under that weight. So I look down and I see how deep that waterfall is and how, how deep that cavern is. And I say, wow, if I fall, it's done. I can either choose the axe murderer or the fall. Which one is it, you know? But, but the thing is, you come to the bridge and you read the sign. That's the information. Faith is living in line with that information. To cross that bridge in your fear. That's faith. You trust in the you trust him in what the sign says. This woman heard about Jesus. She lived in line with what she knew. Third thing that we learn is about uh, the fundamental aspects of faith is the direction. Verses 27 to 29. And it says here, um, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering.
This woman had terrible theology. I mean, the little that she knew about Jesus, she acted on. So, I mean, what she knew was very, very little. She's thinking that there's something superstitious about this man, that if I just touch his clothes, I could be healed. I mean, she had terrible, terrible theology. And this tells you that faith is not about how much you have, but what direction it's pointing to. It's not about the magnitude, it's about direction. What direction do you feel? Why do we know that? Because in verse 34, I mean, she's immediately, she's healed. What does Jesus say to her? What does Jesus affirm? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, that bothers some of us in this room. The religious always say what? I know what your problem is. You need to pray for more faith. You need to pray harder for more faith. This country is built on what? The irreligious will tell you what? If you believe with all your might, you can achieve. So on one hand, you have the religious that say you have to pray for more faith. On the other hand, you say you just have to believe with everything you've got and you will achieve. This passage completely blows both viewpoints out of the water. Why? Because this woman, her faith was a train wreck. Very, very young faith. But Jesus affirms it. There are three people running away from a polar bear. I don't know why, it's not an accident for her this time, but running away from a polar bear. She's running away from, you're running away from a polar bear, and you come to the edge of a cliff. Now there's this height theme going on here, because I'm afraid of heights. You look down, and you, and you realize, wow, that is very, very far down. Then you hear the roar of the polar bear, and you come to this edge of the cliff, and you realize, you know, because it's a polar bear, there's, maybe that's why it has to be a polar bear. There's some snow on the ground. It, there's enough padding. You look, you look down, and you say, hmm... You know, with my engineering mind, because I'm Asian, I look down and I say, you know, wow, there's a lot of padding on the ground. I think if I jump, I'll make it. I'll make it out a lot. There's three people now. All three people are kind of insanity. And, you know, they hear the roar of the polar bear. The first guy says, no, no sweat. Jumps off. Whee! Right? Lands on the ground. Boom. Gets up. Pats himself off. Runs off. Second guy looks down and says, oh man, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not sure if I can make it or not. Is it... It's the height, it's kind of measuring, and you know, I'm not sure how much snow's down there. The first guy, it seemed like it would work for him. I'm not sure, I'm a little heavier than he is. Jumps off and says, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. Bam, hits the ground, gets up, pats itself on the butt, walks away. Third guy says, oh boy, I'm not sure, maybe I should just hide or something like that. I'm not sure if there's, if there's is there any other alternative? I'm not sure. And then he hears the roar of the, of the bear, and, uh, he jumps off, and, he, and, he, and he's not really sure what's going to happen. Hits the ground, gets up, dusts himself off, runs off. Here's a question. Which one of the three is the most saved? Faith is not about magnitude. It's about direction. How much faith do you need to be saved? You need just enough faith to be saved. It's not about the direction. It's not about the magnitude. It's about the direction. She acted on the little less she knew. She pointed in the right direction. So we talked about the desperation of the woman, the information that she heard, the direction of her faith, 
last fundamental aspect of faith. Verses 30 to 34. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crying against you, the disciples answered, and you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. This is an amazing thing that's going on here. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the Gospels. One of the things that you see from this passage is that it had to have happened. It had to be true. Because you would never write fiction in those days particularly, and probably even now, you would never go watch a summer blockbuster that ends like this. I guarantee you. I mean, everything kind of builds up to this incredible climax. And all that happens is, she touches him, is healed. He turns around and says, who touched me? Hey, your faith has healed you and walked away. It's, it, you would never watch a movie like this. You would never, this would never be a best-selling book. This is about history. This is about history. In every other type of, uh, you know, superstition or faith, you have a shaman or some healer, some faith healer that will say, there is somebody in this crowd that is suffering from menstrual bleeding for 12 years. I can feel it here. Let me roll back my sleeves and utter this secret incantation. Zaps the woman. That's the kind of fiction you want to read. Jesus, you never see him in the Gospels, ever, doing anything like that. Read the Gospels. The chapter right before, Mark chapter 4. Disciples, we're going to die, we're going to die. We're fishermen, we're out at sea, there's a storm, we're going to die, we're going to die. Jesus says, quiet. You never see this anywhere in the Gospels. Jesus rolling up his knees, telling everybody to stand back, making a scene out of his power. And in here you witness the power of Christ. Immediately upon touching Jesus, she gets stronger. What happens? Power goes out from Jesus. Jesus is experiencing at that moment a foretaste of what he would experience in largest detail on the cross. What's going to happen on the cross? is what he's experiencing. He's just tasting that experience on right here with this woman. The woman gets stronger. Jesus gets weaker. Jesus loses power so that the woman would gain power. The woman stops bleeding. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus would bleed out his life. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, God, my Father, you are my life source, you are my life breath, you are my blood. And it is pouring out of me like a funnel. All of me is being emptied. I am being emptied of my heart and my soul. Everything that I believe and love, because he is a man, the ultimate picture of faith and trust in God. And yet for this woman to be called daughter, he gets forsaken. He becomes disowned as a son. Have you seen or experienced that exchange for you? Have you seen Jesus become weak so that you would actually have power and strength? Have you seen Jesus become unclean? 2 Corinthians 5.21 
He who had no sin became sin for us. So in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Have you seen Jesus become unclean for you so that you could be declared clean? Have you seen Jesus completely broken on the cross for you so that you could be healed? Healed of your guilt? Healed of the bitterness? Healed of the suffering? The bleeding? The emptiness? Daughter is completely, this woman calls daughter, completely restored to intimacy. She hasn't been intimate in over a decade with anyone. And yet God now becomes her father. Jesus calls her daughter. It's a restoration of intimacy with God. Those are the fundamental lessons of faith. Now, we forget what started this whole passage off was it was a daughter of a synagogue ruler who was in critical condition, acute condition, and now she's passed away. She's died. Why does Jesus heal the chronic condition first? I mean, you couldn't think, you would think that the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, that she could have waited another hour or so. I don't know how long it took to get to Jairus. You would think, why does Jesus choose to heal her first before healing this acute condition. And again, very four very quick things. First is a demonstration of Christ's love and compassion. Jesus told, Jesus chose to heal a desperate, poor, marginalized woman. It goes against all of our social um, rules, our societal rules. Jesus goes against that. The gospel transcends gender. The gospel transcends uh, any worldly form of societal uprightness. And you see this demonstrated in Christ's love and compassion for a woman who's been chronically suffering, poor, outcast, has no one speaking on her behalf. Jesus speaks on her behalf. Jesus chooses to heal her. It's his way of restoring respect, restoring the dignity of even the poorest of individuals deemed by society. The second thing we see is that it demonstrates Christ's remarkable power. And you see this in his timing. If Jairus came to Jesus and said, you know, my daughter is dying, can you please come and help her? And Jesus says, oh my gosh, let's drop everything we've got. We must go immediately. And runs off and helps Jairus' daughter first. Who's in control? What's in control? Death is in control. But Jesus in John chapter 11 says, No one even takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. That's power. He says, you can't even kill me unless I let you kill me. That's power. So what he's saying here is that, you know, if he actually rushed off, he wouldn't be in control. But he lets Jairus' daughter die. Jairus is praying. He's asking Jesus, can you help my daughter? But Jesus waits. And he doesn't answer right away. To show you 
the greater extent of his power, the greatest extent of his power, his control. You see that in his time. Thirdly, it demonstrates Jesus' wisdom. In John chapter 4, there's a, I mean, sorry, Mark chapter 4, there's a storm. And all the disciples are suffering. You know where Jesus says, quiet. All the disciples are suffering. And they cry out to him and say, don't you care about us? Don't you care? So Jesus immediately says, quiet. The storm calms down. But here, Jairus says, will you help my daughter? And Jesus waits. It's a cute condition. And he waits. He doesn't just come to solve the immediate problem. He doesn't just come to solve the immediate issue. He comes to solve the lasting issue. What does he tell Jairus? He says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. You're a synagogue ruler. You're religious. You studied all your life what it means to be close to God. I want you to grow in that. I want you to mature in that. I want you to trust in God. I want you to trust in my wisdom. Trust in my timing. Trust in my power. Put everything on me. He doesn't just come to solve the immediate problem, the lasting problem. He wants to grow us in trust. A lot of us were frustrated because our prayers aren't being answered. Let's trust in his wisdom. You know what Jesus is doing? Just like Jairus' daughter. He's making you wait to show you the greater extent of his compassion, the greatest extent of his power, and the immensity of his wisdom. Will you trust in that? Will you place your trust in that? On the cross. We know that has nothing to do with your goodness. You know why? Because on the cross, when he cries out to God, there's no answer. The most perfect person that ever lived on, on the earth cries out to God, and there's no answer. And yet, that becomes the heart of our understanding of God's greatest wisdom. So when he doesn't answer, a lot of times that is probably a demonstration of more of his presence than his absence. Do you understand what I'm saying? Seems like he's absent, but he's present. He's working and he's active. The question is not, where are you? Don't you care about us? The question is, why don't I see you in my life? Why don't I see you working in my life? Why don't I see you working in my life? Lastly, demonstrates intimacy. He waits for the child to die. Takes a small crowd into a room. And he utters this obscure Aramaic phrase, Talitha Kum. Translated in the NIV, little girl, I say to you, get up. But actually it's a very intimate phrase that your mother would say to you Sunday morning, or maybe Sunday afternoon, I don't know, Sunday morning, as she's preparing breakfast, it's time to eat, honey. It's time to eat, It's time to eat. Intimacy. The girl, the child, slept as a forsaken one and rose again as a child of God. Little girl, daughter, honey, it's time to get up. It's a demonstration of Jesus' intimacy. Have you experienced that intimacy in your life when you're suffering right now? Do you hear Jesus calling out, or the Father calling out to you, son, daughter? 
Do you realize the price that, that Jesus paid for you to be called His son on the cross? He was forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he could call you son, daughter. It's a visual picture. I mean, Jesus, in his immensity of power, you don't think that he could have just said, Hey, Jairus, your daughter's sick? She's not healed. Why the walking over there? Why the taking the people into a private place? Why the utterance of the words there? It's so that Jairus will never forget. Remember, he tells Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe. You don't think that every, every night, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine the love of a parent. You don't think that Jairus, every night that the child since then goes to sleep, is going to remember the words that Jesus uttered to her the next morning. Practical applications. Very simple. It's going to run through these quick questions. How desperate are you? How desperate are you when you approach the cross? Why did you come to Jesus? Why are you here today? All of us here in this room have heard now the gospel. And the centrality of the gospel is the centrality of the person and the work of Jesus. But we're, we all have the word. And all pray. Prayer, the word, and also community. It's so important. Community is so important. It's important to pray. It's important to know the word. Why? Because that's how you hear. That's how you hear. But community is so important. This woman had to hear about Jesus. The daughter had somebody bring Jesus to her. Community is so important. Join a small group. Get plugged in. This is the time. I know that this season in this church is the time to get plugged in. This is the time to do that. Where is your faith turned? Do you have Jesus as your substitute? Or are you substituting Jesus for something else? Where is your faith? Where is the direction of your faith? What are you doing with the information that you have? Lastly, is God challenging you right now to trust Him deeper? To trust in His wisdom? To trust in His compassion? To trust in His power? In His timing? In His intimate touch? Over and over in the Old Testament, you hear the phrase, Remember not the sins of my youth. The prayer, Remember not the sins of my youth. And Lord, remember us. Remember your promises. Throughout the Old Testament, you see that. It's the prayer of the psalmists to remember not the sins of my youth or remember your promises. And you see that throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. It's not like God is this old person who forgets or asking, it's, like, it's not like he forgets his promises and you have to ask him to forget your sins. And clearly the psalmists are trying to intend something else when they mean they mean something else when they're saying that, right? What they're saying is, Lord, you know my sin. 
when you act the mind of my sin, in accordance with my sin, you forget, when you choose to forget. Will you act in line with what you promised? It's not like he forgot his promises, right? Will you act in line with your promises? On the flip side, in the New Testament, what does Jesus say? Jesus calls us to remember. What does he call us to remember? He says, take the bread. Take the wine. Do this in remembrance of me. He wants to remember the gospel. He wants to remember who he is and what he did for you. Digest it. Take it in. Know it. That's how you understand his love. That's how you understand his compassion. That's how you understand his power. That's how you understand his wisdom. That's how you come closer to understanding the Father's touch, his intimate touch in your life. Fundamental aspects of faith, mature aspects of faith, practical applications of faith in our lives. We need all three. It's not like you graduate from one to the next. As the Lord speaks to you, it's my prayer, as this ends this short so-called series on the Gospels, to you grow in faith, in your knowledge and your trust, just like John Jairus. Don't be afraid. Trust and believe. Just believe. Let's pray. Father, inevitably in this room, there are fears abounding anxieties that we're holding at bay just for this moment. And Lord, they're creeping into our lives from the moment we walk out the door. Lord, will you lead us to trust in you, to come to the foot of the cross, recognize and witness your person, your character, and your work for us. And let us experience that so we would act in line with what we know in faith. Lord, be intimate with you. Not just in the knowledge of you, but intimacy with you. Deeper intimacy as sons and daughters of you. Father, will you lead us to do that? In Jesus' name, we pray.